Amen. That is the hope of Advent, the season that we are in. It's the season that all around the world today, the church is celebrating. Christians all around the world are celebrating this season of Advent, this time that is leading up to the birth of Christ, when we celebrate the coming of Christ. But, but before we get there, before we get to his birth, before we get to the joy of Christmas morning, we enter in intentionally into this time of waiting. And we remember what it was like for Israel as they waited, as they longed, O come, O come, Emmanuel, come and ransom captive Israel, set us free, come and set us free. And so this is a time that is full of longing. This is a time of waiting and of hoping. Does anybody here like to wait? No, no. Is there anything worse than like being stuck in the grocery line, like you're waiting there and you're getting ready to check out and you realize you don't have your phone on you, so you don't have like something to do while you're waiting and you're like, I'm about to go crazy right now, right? I have to actually stand here and wait. We don't like waiting. We don't like waiting. I have to admit, about a week ago, I fell prey to the trap of consumerism and <laughs> On Thanksgiving evening, I went to stand in line for the opening of Target. That's terrible. Shame on me, right? Shameful. Well, we had this item that we were going to get for Christmas, and we saw it was going to be a, a good price. So I went, and I stood in line. We were visiting Sarah's family up in Chicago, so that added a different kind of element to it. I'm standing outside in weather that was in, like, the mid-20s, all right? And it's snowing. And I get there, I get in line, and I start to wait. And, and as I'm waiting, I'm like, this is actually pretty fun. This is kind of cool because there's like this camaraderie with all of the people who are waiting in line. It's like the Christmas spirit. You could feel it, right? And this kind of shared experience. And the snow was coming down. I was like, this is kind of cool. And right about that time, my phone rings, and it's our sister-in-law who is in Ohio. Who's the, her store had already opened. And she called and says, hey, that thing you were wanting, actually, already, I picked it up for you, so you don't have to go and wait. And I had only been out there like five minutes, right? But I look around, and I'm like, but the experience and, like, the snow and the camaraderie, and it's 20 degrees. Peace out, losers. (laughs) Nobody likes waiting. Nobody likes waiting, but that is what this season is about. We don't rush ahead to Christmas. We enter into that season of waiting. But here's the beauty of it. While we wait, we hope. While we wait, we hope. It's interesting that in both Latin and Hebrew, the words wait and hope are from the same root. Wait and hope. We don't wait with anxiety. We wait with expectation and we wait with hope because we know that the promise is going to be fulfilled. That is the story that we are entering into. As the Old Testament closes, uh, as the Old Testament comes to a close, the last book of the Old Testament is this little minor prophet named Malachi. And he gets like, uh, it's four chapters, right? He gets like four chapters in the Old Testament in the Bible, and he rounds out the Old Testament. He closes out the Old Testament. And his four chapters are full of promises about the coming of the Lord, that God is coming. Prepare yourself because God is coming. 
God is sending. God is coming. And so prepare yourself. And it's this powerful ending to the book. And then we flip the page. And I love how this is in, in my Bible here. There's a blank space. We get one blank page. This book that we turn to, to hear and to read the very words of God, there's a page right there between the closing of the old and the beginning of the new, and it's blank. There are no words. Because there's this period between the closing of the old and the coming of the new where there was a 400-year silence. One blank page doesn't quite capture that, does it? But it sends a powerful message of what it means to live at times on the blank page. Of what it means to live in that space where it feels like God is silent. The space between the promise and the fulfillment. And that's what we do in Advent. We embrace that. And we understand that we're standing in this space between. And so throughout, uh, we're going to keep going back to the words of the prophet Isaiah. I love the prophet Isaiah, and the prophet Isaiah is quoted more than any other prophet in the New Testament, and especially about the coming of Jesus. And around this time of the year, we hang on the words of Isaiah. We've called him the prophet laureate of Advent, right? He's the one that we turn to, and he's the one that sets the tone for Advent as we wait for the coming of Christ. Rodney and Oz read for us already from Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to keep, as we light the candles, as we wait for the coming of Christ, we're going to keep coming back to those words of Advent. They're familiar to you. Isaiah 7, this will be a sign to you. The virgin will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the valley of the shadow, a light has dawned. So powerful. So powerful for unto us a child is given, a son is given, and on his shoulders will be the government. He will establish justice and peace. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Almighty God. Powerful, powerful. Isaiah 40, what they read already, comfort, comfort my people. A voice in the desert calling, prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Words of hope, Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, I've been sent, right? And the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And I've been sent to proclaim good news to the poor. Release for the captives, sight for the blind. So powerful, these words of Isaiah. This morning, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 64. And as we get to this chapter, we see a different kind of tone. All those other ones that we're so familiar with, they are weighed down with this idea of hope and expectation and anticipation. But Isaiah 64 has a very different tone because this is actually a prayer of lament, a heart-wrenching prayer of what it looks like to live in that space between, of what it looks like to live on the blank page, somewhere between when the promise is given and the fulfillment of it is realized. And Isaiah captures the heart of the people of Israel with the words here in, in this prayer. Okay, Isaiah chapter 64. Uh, let's read these, these uh, verses together. He begins this way. Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. 
Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Boom. Man, he captures it. He captures the heart of what it means to live there on that blank page. The difficulty the pain of that, the pain of the waiting. But God is faithful, and he acts on behalf of those who wait for him. That is our hope. I love what he says here. Rend the heavens. Oh, God, that you would rend the heavens. And what we get here is this imagery of the God who has clothed himself in his creation and ripping open creation to reveal himself, right? Right? Creation on him like a garment, and, and, and Isaiah is pleading and begging, take the heavens like a garment and rend the heavens. Rip them open like a garment. There's so much power in that imagery because think about this. In the Jewish mindset, in, in the ancient Jewish culture, what did it mean when a person would rend their garments? Anybody remember? Mourning, exactly. It's a sign of mourning. It's a physical, outward way of expressing what is happening to the soul and the heart within them. And so when a person went through extreme difficulty, when they were in despair as a sign of that, they would take the garments that they were wearing and they would rip them open, rend their garments. And Isaiah is saying, God, we are in such despair. We are in such need of you. Please grieve with us. Please mourn with us. Take the heavens like a garment and rend them open. Mourn with us. But then he goes further than that. He says, don't just rend the heavens. Come down. Rend the heavens and come down to us. We want you to mourn with us. We want you to grieve with us, but we want you to do more than that. We want you to step into action. Don't just grieve over what has gone wrong, but please, God, in your justice, set it right and make it right again. This is what Isaiah is praying for and pleading for and what so many of us pray and plead for as well. God, we know you're working behind the scenes. We know that you're directing the play. We do. But we need you to step onto center stage right now. And we need you to take the lead role. We know that you're influencing and you're moving the whole show along. But we need to see you. We need to see you. Not just the sense of your sovereignty and your control and your reign. We need to see you. That's what is being experienced here. That's the weight of the heart right, right there. It's this idea. It's, it's called a theophany. Okay, and a theophany simply means an appearance of God. And that's what Isaiah is begging for. We need to see you. We need an appearance. We need you to come down. And so he says, shake the mountains, let the fire blaze, right? And this is very clear imagery pointing back to and drawing off of the memory of the Exodus when they've experienced God like that before at Mount Sinai in the desert after they were freed from slavery in Egypt. And he's saying, we need that again. 
Please, God, do that again. And here's the crazy thing. He does it. He does it. God actually does come down. But it's not so much with the trembling mountains that he talks about in verse 1. It's not with the blazing fire that he talks about in verse 2. Instead, it's the way that he mentions it in, in a few words in verse 3. When he says, the, all, you did awesome things that we did not expect. And that's how God answers the prayer of Isaiah and the prayers of the people and our prayers as well. He does, in fact, rend the heavens and he does, in fact, come down. But it is in a way that we would have never expected. We would have never expected. We want the ground to shake. And he sends us a baby. We want undeniable glory. We want the flames. And instead, he goes with the scandal of an unmarried Pregnant teenager. What a move. What a move. We want the lightning, and he gives us the light. So powerful and so brilliant what he does. It's like this. It's Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. This is what it looks like when God rends the heavens and comes down. Here's what it says. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. Let's go back to that. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Let that name just hit your heart. Let's hit me in a different way right now. Let that just hit your heart. Jesus, it's a name that means he will save his people from his sins. It means the Lord saves. Powerful. At this church, we talk a lot about the idea our name is our mission. We stole that from Jesus, all right? That is his mission. He will save his people from his sins. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So powerful. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. 
He moves. He rends the heavens and he comes down. But it's in no way that we would have ever expected. And if we were on the planning committee, we would have a lot of objections to that one right there. We would have a lot of objections to that. We want thunder. We want fire. We want the thick cloud. And God says, no, I'm going to send my son as a baby. And I hear your cries, Israel, and I'm going to answer them with the cries of my own son, a baby. How powerful, how incredible is that? Sometimes God doesn't live up to the hype. Sometimes God doesn't live up to the hype. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get it twisted there with what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying that God isn't full of glory. He is absolutely so full of glory that he can't help but bring glory to himself. Everything he does, even when he shows up and makes himself a baby, it's, there's glory all over it. Okay, he can't help it. He can't help it. But sometimes God doesn't live up to the hype in the way that we want him to. He doesn't move in the ways that we want him to. He surprises us. He shocks us with the way he moves. His his absolutely all-surpassing glory often demonstrates itself in inglorious ways. It's incredible. It's incredible what he does. I love this. I love it. Now, at the birth of Jesus, we see glory everywhere. We see this angel show up to Mary. We see the virgin birth, a miracle. We see uh, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, who is too old to have children, yet she becomes pregnant as well. There's miracle everywhere here. Miracles all over the place. The stars in the sky are pointing the direction to where Jesus is. Aging prophets come, and, and, and when they see Jesus for the first time with their own eyes, they say, I can now die in peace because I've seen the Savior of Israel. I can now die in peace. There's glory everywhere here, okay? But as we continue in the life of Jesus, as we move past the birth narrative, isn't it interesting that through all of the Gospels, we only get one story from Jesus' childhood? And this God who starts off on earth with this incredible beginning, it seems like God himself slips into obscurity, right? It seems like we're back on the blank page again, back in this space between where the promise has arrived, but we haven't seen the absolute fulfillment of it yet. Isn't that interesting? Seems like God goes off of the radar, like God goes underground. And so for 30 years, God lives in the neighborhood And nobody seems to even notice. Isn't that interesting? He is teaching us what it means to wait. He's teaching us what it means to wait. And he's teaching us that he doesn't move at the pace we want him to move. Uh, One thing I find extremely interesting about Jesus, because the time in which he lived, if you really think about it, in Jesus' ministry, he never moved faster than four miles an hour. Think about that. (laughs) Does it seem like God is moving at the pace that maybe a donkey could carry him in your life sometimes? Let's speed it up. Let's go. Let's move along. We got ground to cover. But he's teaching us what it means to wait. And he's shaping us in the waiting. And we are waiting still. We still live right now in that space between. We see the signs of it everywhere we look, don't we? We know that the promise has come. 
and we celebrate Christmas and we long for Christmas here in this season of Advent. But even as we look forward to the arrival of Jesus at Christmas, the church around the world also remembers that we are waiting for Advent all over again. See, we're not just celebrating in this season the arrival of Jesus' birth, but we are also looking ahead and longing and hoping and expecting and anticipating the second coming of Jesus as well. We're waiting for the return of our King who will set all things right, who will restore everything and will bring the promise to its absolute completion, healing everything and making everything New. We long for that. And on weeks like we just came through, we realize how deeply and how desperate we are for that. Like many of you, I was brokenhearted and angry and a lot of other things this past week over the story of Eric Garner and the utter tragedy and injustice surrounding his death. And I've wrestled a lot this week with this is this is a Christmas message. This is preparing us for Christmas. What are we even supposed to say to a situation like that? What does Christmas, what does Advent have to say to that situation and to that reality that we live in right here and right now? What do these two passages that we've looked at, what do they have to say to that situation? I've wrestled with that all week. And it became extremely clear to me that these passages in this season has everything to say to us in moments like this. Everything. Our hearts cry out with the prophet Isaiah, oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. God, do something. Don't you see the chaos of the world around us? God, do something. And then we realize that he did do something. And through the hope of Jesus, through the arrival of Jesus, we experience that. Think about this story of the angel showing up and telling Mary that she's going to have this son, right? Think about this. Mary, who is of Jewish descent. Mary, who is of Jewish descent. And when we think back and we look at the life of Jesus, this is something that we all know, but we so often forget it. We often forget this. Think about this. Jesus himself was born into a specific race of people. Now, absolutely, Jesus is born for all people. Jesus is born for all people. But we so often forget that Jesus was born as a person. Jesus was born as a person. He's born into a specific race of people, into a long cultural heritage and history. That despite so many of the paintings that we look at and that we hang up in our churches, despite what we have made him out to be, the truth about Jesus is that he carried distinct physical features. The tone of his skin, the color of his eyes, inherited family traits, specific physical features that made it clear and identified him with the Jewish people. He was born into a specific race, and he always embraced that 
identity. Now, why is that important? Because he was born into a race of people who had experienced hundreds of years of slavery. A trial that they could never forget. They knew what it meant to be conquered by force. Repeatedly. They were violently attacked and carried away into exile. At the time of his birth, his people, the Jewish people, were living under the expanding power and the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. The very dust beneath their feet had been promised to them by God himself. And yet Caesar, in all of his might, had claimed it as his own. And instituted over them an oppressive kind of reign of injustice. Systematic oppression. The taxes, the laws, the enforcement tactics. Jesus' people were all at the mercy of that system. From the very first glance of his face, from the sounds of his words and his accent, from the food that he ate, from the way that he worshipped, it was clear that Jesus was not a part of the ruling class. He was firmly located and numbered among the oppressed. And that is exactly where he wanted to be. That was God's design and God's choice. And that is exactly where we find him still today. Where is God in oppression and injustice? He is in the middle of it, bearing the weight of it. We have a God who sent prophets and messages. We have a God who sent angels. We have a God who sent words of hope. But we have a God who sent his own son to step into the thick of it with us and to bear it with us. So what can we do? We start by raising our voices with the prophet Isaiah. And we pray, God, show yourself. Come down. Rend the heavens and come down. And then we continue as we realize that he already has. And we sing out the anthem of Advent, that God is with us. He's with us in tragedy. He's with us in pain. He's with us in our longing. He's with us as we wait for the full restoration of all things. He is with us as we wait for Advent all over again, for God to come and set it right again. And as we wait and we watch and we long for the return of Jesus, we are filled with hope. We are filled with hope because even though it feels like we are living on the blank page, we know how this story goes and we know that the page is going to turn and we know that we will see the fulfillment of every single promise God has ever made and we'll see it in ways that we never even expected, in ways that we couldn't have even dreamed of hoping for. That's who he is. And so we sing out the anthem of Advent. God is with us and we sing he's coming again. Joy to the world. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Prepare your hearts for his reign. Let all of creation, let all of the earth sing out joy to the world. Even as we live in the midst of the brokenness, we know that we will not be on the blank page forever Because Christ has come and Christ is coming again. And we place all of our hope in that. Amen. Jesus, thank you for the reality of Advent.
We don't only wait, we hope. Our hearts are longing and expecting you. We celebrate you. And from the top, from the bottom of our lungs, we sing it out. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. We believe it's true. We believe it's true. And we sing it out. It's your name we pray. Amen.